Pod Save the Queen! Hello and welcome to Pod Save the Queen and Happy New Year. I'm Zoe Forsey, I'm your host and joined as always by Russell Myers. Hi Russell, how are you? I am very well. I mean, when do we stop saying Happy New Year? I suppose we're good with, with wishing the listeners Happy New Year, but I, I saw something about people still doing it, like well into January. Do you, do you still say it when you've seen someone for the first time? Do you stop saying I... it in a certain period? I kind of begrudgingly have said it a few times this morning, but that, that, this is my last one. This is my last. Because <laughs> obviously all our lovely podcast listeners we haven't spoken to yet, so oh. we'll do it then. And then let's collectively agree we're, we're done with. It is the 6th tomorrow. The tree's got to go. I'm supposed to be taking the tree down later, so I suppose oh, I happy new year. I had an argument with my tree <laughs> yesterday. I couldn't get it down. I couldn't. It broke the... Um, what are they called? Segateers? Segateers? What? What? Sorry. The, the, the garden cutter things you get. Oh, I yeah, something fancy. Little yep. shears things. The shears things, yep. The tree snapped a pair of those. It was all, I basically just sat and stared at it for an hour with the you need an axe. not much, not much Christopher spirit. Um, but yes, so how has 2022 been so far? You. I mean, non-stop because <laughs> I mean, I think we spoke about this, uh, you know, the last show that it was all it was going to get off with a bang, and it has not disappointed. So, I suppose we should uh, we should go straight into you know what everybody's talking about at the moment, and that is the Prince Andrew case because uh, it has been absolutely extraordinary over the last couple of days on the. Um, on the third, actually, I meant to ask some of our American listeners. Actually, is was the third. I presume not that it wasn't a bank holiday because in America they don't really get too many sort of national holidays. So over here, we were still on a bank holiday because um, New Year's Day was on a weekend and that is normally bank holiday for us. So we weren't sort of normally at work or sitting courts and stuff. However, they definitely were in the United States. And the reason why it was such a big deal is... Because um, Lewis Kaplan, the uh, New York district judge in, uh, in the States who is presiding over Prince Andrew's civil case um, versus Virginia Gaffray, he decided to unseal the documents that had um, so far not been seen between Virginia Gaffray and Jeffrey Epstein. Now, this relates to a 2009 financial settlement that uh, Virginia Gaffray um, agreed to with uh, with the late disgraced Jeffrey Epstein. And the reason why it is so important, Andrew's lawyers believed, is that they were going to try and get him off on the technicality of sort of the legal speak contained within this uh, financial settlement. Now... Well, on Monday, it was then revealed that uh, this 12-page document that not only um, gave Virginia Gaffray a $500,000 financial settlement, it also had certain language in it, which meant that um, Virginia Gaffray could possibly, we still don't know whether this trial is going to go ahead, so she possibly couldn't bring any other claim against potential defendants. So... The real crux of the matter is, what does that mean? And when you look at the language, it is particularly vague, which I think is going to be 
an issue for Prince Andrew, talking to his team of I have over the last couple of days, they were they were you know quietly confident that that this was going to get them over the line and that um, the Duke of York wasn't going to have to face a full-on trial. Now that is certainly not my understanding of the situation, but I'm not a you know a vastly expensive legal mind. But I'll just take you through sort of the, the, the issues of what we're talking about because in the agreement it said that essentially Virginia Gaffray agreed to release, acquit, satisfy and forever discharge Epstein and any other person or entity who could be included as a potential defendant. Not only that, it says that this action would be from the beginning of the world, which is just such an extraordinary turn of phrase. I mean, they're literally... I mean, I don't expect so. It just is slightly ludicrous. And I think that um, from speaking to people uh, who who are a lot more um, familiar with the, the US legal system, even they were completely baffled by it. However... When we look at this agreement, it is very interesting that Virginia Gaffray, who has been rumoured, always reported to have received several million dollars, not only from Jeffrey Epstein's estate, but Glenn Maxwell's estate as well, that this amount of money, $500,000, doesn't seem, I mean, it's obviously an extraordinary amount of money, but in the grand scheme of things, when the Epstein estate is paying you know, tens of millions, I think it's over, well over a hundred million dollars that his estate has pay, agreed to pay out. And there's certainly even more claims um, to be uh, to be realised on, on that estate. Uh, it doesn't seem that amount, lot, uh, you know, that grand amount of money. Um, and also, what was, what was the detail that Andrew's team was so confident that would get him off the hook, essentially? Well, The real issue is this terminology of potential defendants. Now, if Andrew is putting himself in the position of a potential defendant, what does that mean? And obviously, arguably, um, some people have said, does that make him, um, you know, guilty? I I don't think it does that far. I think that his lawyers are obviously acting in his best interest, which you would assume that they are um, duty bound to do so because that's their job. But Lewis Kaplan on Monday released this um, with the intention of it then being argued in front of his court, which it was on Tuesday. So let's fast forward 24 hours. And just yesterday, we're in the space-time continuum, aren't we? So this, on Tuesday, it then came before his court in New York for the final time. It was the last time he was going to hear um, arguments from both the prosecution, Virginia Gaffray's lawyers, and the defence, which is Prince Andrew's lawyers. And the real crux of this argument is um, to do with all about this financial settlement. Now, Andrew's lawyers have unsuccessfully been trying to argue this for, for, for many months now, that Virginia Gaffray, you know, did, did, didn't, doesn't live in the United States. She lives in Australia. She doesn't necessarily have the jurisdiction. She had agreed uh, through a settlement that was obviously on, uh, on seals on Monday to not bring any further cases, civil or otherwise, um, to court. And yet, here we are. So, where does that leave us now? I I think from listening, and I listened into the call, the the hour-long call, Lewis Kaplan gave Andrew's team pretty short shrift, in my opinion. He was saying that he found no meaning in the word potential or the phrase potential defendant. He was saying that... um, this technicality of this 
this deal, this financial settlement signed by Virginia Goffrey and Jeffrey Epstein had no bearing essentially on this case because um, it is a completely different case. There was some commentary around it, which um, the judge really didn't comment on, but there was some commentary from legal experts. We weren't sure whether the deal signed in Florida gave jurisdiction over another court. And of course, this is being heard in New York. But I take you back to that extraordinary phrase from the beginning of the world. Well, does it sort of all encompass anywhere and everywhere as well? Um, Again, legal minds thought that that was just utterly, utterly bizarre wording. But what the judge did also sort of um, have indifference with Andrew's uh, legal team is the way that they were essentially attacking Virginia Giffray. And they were saying that not only uh, did they... um, believe that she had not represented a clear and detailed version of her allegations, but also that she needed to make the point now. Uh, And there were two really interesting points from the judge, and he reprimanded them saying, well, essentially, the the, the allegations are of involuntary sexual intercourse, and that is completely clear. That does not need any uh, sort of understanding or misunderstanding. It is there in black and white. And also, he said, he said, there isn't any doubt about what that means, not since someone else was in the White House. Now, that is obviously a reference to the Monica Lewinsky case with Bill Clinton. So I think that gives you an indication of where his head is at. He wants to give this um, this case a fair shake. I believe that he will send it to a full trial. He was also reprimanding Andrew's lawyers again for them saying that Good friend needed to give these specific details now. Um, he said, with all due respect, this is to Andrew's lawyer, he said, that's a dog that's not going to hunt here. So what he means by that is a full trial will be a full trial of the facts and the allegations. All she needs to do is, is suggest what those allegations are, and it's up for him to decide whether it will go to a full trial, which he has already said may happen in the autumn. He's already called the date on it. So... I think it's clear to me that, uh, you know, despite thanking both sides for their arguments and passions, whatever that means, that he's definitely um, thinking along that train of thought. And he said his decision will be made pretty soon. Well, how soon is pretty soon? Your guess is as good as mine, but I don't think we're going to be waiting very long here. I think we're going to have it potentially by the end of the week. Some people are saying that he may take a week to sit on it, but I'm pretty sure that his mind is made up. And, um, you know, it takes us back to the fact that, uh, you know, Prince Andrew said that he was an an honourable man. He said that his dealings with, in the BBC Newsnight interview, he said his dealings with Jeffrey Epstein were uh, perhaps too honourable. Well, I think they're in the court of public opinion, which is absolutely rampant right now. There, there are lots of people are saying that um, you know it's not a particularly honourable thing to be trying to get off facing a uh, a court and uh, facing down your accuser from a technicality that was used by a convicted sex offender and paedophile who chose to take his own life than rather face you know further scrutiny in court. So the fact that Andrew is associating himself in this way um, with Epstein is is absolutely extraordinary. And my my view from listening to from to the case yesterday, and um, from all I can um, 
evaluate from from Lewis Kaplan, the judge's uh, demeanour, I think that, uh, you know, it'd be an absolutely extraordinary turn of events if we do not see a full trial in the autumn. So very interesting, really looking forward to see what he comes back with. And um, I don't know, how long do you think is pretty soon? By the end of the week, couple of days? I was really surprised at that. I will admit, I, I saw it at the top of one of our news lists and I assumed a reporter had put it in in you know to summarize it themselves and then clicked and went oh hang on that was actually the judge's phrasing one thing that i found quite interesting is obviously we should stress here that prince andrew has denied all of these allegations throughout but he from what you said previously seems quite keen to you know clear his name and to get back to his royal duties would taking this path you know taking this path and not facing a trial would mean he wouldn't be able in front of a court to you know have you know to have these cases thrown out properly with all the evidence how would this sit with his royal future in terms of returning to duty and helping to support his um, mother the queen well i think i've I've consistently said despite his vehement denials on on this uh this case and um you know any of the allegations that he is facing which he has been very consistent with throughout this whole saga the way that he has conducted the way that he has conducted himself be it uh his newsnight interview his talking about being honorable talking about how epstein was um the relationship with epstein was beneficial to him the wall of silence that has, um, you know, persisted throughout this uh, case with Virginia Gaffray is frankly um, shameful. And so, therefore, again, I take you back to you know, even if he does get off on this technicality, even if the judge does decide that there is enough evidence before him um, and the financial settlement or the agreement that was reached between Virginia Gouffray and Jeffrey Epstein in 2009 means that Prince Andrew does not have to face trial. Well, what does it mean? I mean, it means that he will not have to face trial and he'll obviously save himself an awful lot of embarrassment. Um, It means that Virginia Gouffray will not potentially get her date in court, which would be um, absolutely catastrophic for other victims. I think some of the the, the lawyers I've spoken to have said that there's an awful lot riding on this case um, from a global standpoint. But, listen, his reputation is absolutely in the gutter. He must be the only person on this planet who believes that he has any chance of returning to frontline duties. And I think from speaking to people close to him, that he still believes that there is a way back. I mean, at 61 years old, having this rumbled on for more than two years, um, it is would be absolutely extraordinary for him to have any way back. We're certainly not going to be see here, seeing him anywhere near the Platinum Jubilee celebrations over the course of the next 12 months. We're not going to be... Um, yeah, what, what could he do? I mean, he, what could he, he, normally in these sorts of um, instances, you might have a celebrity who's been, you know, f- fallen fallen foul of the media or the law, uh, coming out and doing a big tell-all interview. Well, he's already done one of those, and it was absolutely catastrophic. Um, so I don't think he would think it. Well, maybe he would think it was a good idea, but his advisors, if he has any left, would would not think that that was a good idea because of the absolute pig's ear that he made of the last one. So. Where does he go from here? I mean, it will be um, uh, a lonely place for him, I imagine, at the moment, because there are very few allies on his, in his corner. Certainly his, his family is sticking by him. Um, the, the, the palace have seemed to have distanced themselves from him for many, many months. 
Um, he was thrown out of his office in Buckingham Palace and then he's been left to sort of fend for himself with his own legal representation. So let's see where he gets him. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's stood by consistently that he uh, has denied all these allegations and the the, the, judge, the lawyers that he has employed are obviously earning their vastly expensive coin at the moment because they're using every trick in the book to try and get him off. So um, a, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see, I think, at the moment. Now, as has been the case for the last two years, as this case has kind of carried on and continued in the background, the rest of the royal family are at work as normal. And obviously we haven't had many engagements because they've all been enjoying the new year break. However, we did have a really quite personal letter from Prince Charles, which he wrote for Newsweek, uh, speaking about climate change and the environment, uh, particularly focusing on the lack of urgency um, to tackle the subjects. Uh, he finished it with the moving line, the time is now, the eyes of our children and grandchildren are judging us. Let ours be the generation that can and does. As we enter a new year, there is not a moment to lose. So what did you think of this um, this letter from Prince Charles? Well, I mean, you know, uh, as our listeners will know, Prince Charles contributed to our fantastic environment edition in the Daily Mirror and uh, on the Mirror Online uh, at the end of last year, which was very well received. And he was talking about, you know, which, we, which we are familiar with him discussing about the, um, the next generation and the generation after that, that they are watching us and... Um, that we all need to act very urgently, talking about a, lot, a, a very, very significant decade ahead. Uh, and we are very used to Prince Charles talking about it. However, um, I did think that this was uh, a great essay. I thought that he's speaking about it. Well, yeah, again, there's not a moment to lose. The eyes of our children, grandchildren are, ju are judging us. Um, and we need the mobilising urgency of a warlike footing if we are to win. What I did think was different about this one, though, is he was referencing not only his father, the late Prince Philip, but he was also um, referencing his pride at his two sons. And he said, um, as a father, I'm proud that my sons have recognised this threat. More, most recently, my elder son, William, launched the prestigious Earthshot Prize to incentivise change and help repair our planet over the next 10 years. And my younger son, Harry, has passionately highlighted the impact of climate change, especially in relation to Africa, and committed his charity to being net zero. Of course, there are the usual um, sort of Twitter bandits who, who claim, you know, he doesn't need to live in a palace, he doesn't need to fly private jet. Well, I think that he is the heir, you know, he's, <laughs> it's very difficult to, 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 for them to speak on these sort of issues without being lambasted in certain quarters. But whenever he is travelling on the Voyager, um, he's using re reusable fuel, um, sustainable fuel rather. He drives an electric car. He's talking about organic farming, different methods of building or whatever. So um, he is, I think, essentially, he is a very good um, point of reference on the climate change. And that is being recognised throughout the world, I think. You know, he's talking at the, uh, the UN Climate Change COP26 conference. Well, I was in Egypt with him when he was talking to a dignitary there about COP27. This year, it's going to be in Egypt. So um, he is definitely someone to, 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 to listen to. I, we don't have a lot of elder statesmen in the, to look up to, certainly like David Attenborough. So I, I, I do respect what Charles is saying on this. And I thought that it was, a, it was a worthy read. So if you haven't seen it, we did cover it on, uh, on Daily Mirror. And, and it is on Newsweek. The actual cover 
I don't think it's a magazine anymore. It's just a um, online website. But uh, they did use, uh, they did have a rather fetching cover that I put on my Instagram. And um, again, with with, uh, with that sort of tagline about the eyes, uh, the eyes of our children and our grandchildren are upon us. So take action now is what Charles is saying. Yeah, it was an extreme, that final line was extremely powerful. And as you said, having that on the cover made it really, really stand out. Obviously, I know you mentioned that he spoke about both Harry and William's work, which was really interesting. But a lot was made last year. Yeah, last year, 2021, I can say that now. Yes, about yes. the Queen's decision to leave Harry out of her COP26 speech. She said she could not be more proud of Charles and William. And obviously, lots of people commented on the fact that she didn't mention Harry. Of course, she also didn't mention you know any of her other children. She obviously just focused on the two you know, the two kind of future kings. But lots of people are saying that Charles's decision to include Harry could have been a bit of an olive branch. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you're wrong, actually. I think that um, that's probably a fair assessment. That, you know, we know relations have been strained. Um, I imagine they they are continuing to, uh, to, to, to be strained. Certainly Harry hasn't been back um, in the country to, to try and smooth, smooth over and perhaps he's wishing with the with the passage of time that the relations will get better. Um, it's probably quite likely that we're going to see Harry back here for some of the Platinum Jubilee celebrations. Of course, we will be waiting to, to see what happens with the Invictus Games. That's another opportunity to come back as well. So, um, again, I don't... Listen, the, the Queen didn't need to reference Harry in that, um, that speech. It was about COP26. It was as her role as the monarch, the host nation of the United Kingdom, um, was all about our presidency of the United Nations Conference. And speaking on that footing, of course she was going to reference Charles and William for their efforts, um, especially William recently with the Earthshot Prize. Um and she didn't have to go through a list of her whole family. It was Harry and Meghan's decision to step away from their royal duties. And I think the Queen was speaking in her role as the sovereign. Whereas, it's different for Charles. He was, he's writing an essay. He's speaking on a personal level, Is that if that is possible. I think he's speaking as... Uh, just look at the opening line. It was one of his last lines, but I used it as the opening line because so I thought it was possibly the most interesting part of the piece where he's speaking about the, the eyes, come back to it, the eyes of our children and our grandchildren are judging us. And he, he, he also, he references all the time about the being a father, being a grandfather, how he's trying to do this work to make people sit up and recognize what is being done to the planet as a father and a grandfather. So um, I think it's very different when, when he is speaking and very different when the, when the queen is speaking. So of course people are going to read a lot into it, but well, what would we be doing if they weren't reading anything into it? <laughs> and as well as Charles's essay, we had a few New Year posts from the Royals. We had a lovely photo of the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge uh, taken at that James Bond premiere. It was a kind of back of the back of the car shot, wasn't it? It was a really lovely person, you know, kind of very much an off-duty picture. And Kate looks so happy. Yes, love these, love these. Uh, I remember you, 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 you raising these with me. It was uh, well, start of things to come. Hopefully, 
It was very exciting. And of course, I'm going to use this as another chance to plug the fashion episode, the bonus episode we had this week, uh, which was the review of the year of fashion, because obviously she is wearing that fantastic gold sequin dress in that shot, which Scott and I discussed at length in that episode. So if you haven't had to listen to that, uh, it's on the um on the site as normal and we also had a post from uh princess eugenie didn't we uh, looking back over the last 12 months which obviously talked about the highs and the lows obviously baby august and baby sienna and also reflecting on the loss of prince philip but eagle eyes fans noticed quite quickly a picture that appeared to be from the double uh, christening which we haven't had any shots of yet, did yeah. we? Did you? Yeah, which was lovely. I, well, I did. Yeah, when did this come out? It says four days ago. I think it was on the first, wasn't it? And yeah, um, yeah love, lovely. I mean, these pictures are great. They are sort of a lesson in how to be normal and royal, I suppose, because you've got Jack holding the baby, looking very normal in his check shirt and his beanie. Really nice one of them, sort of wearing their barber jackets in the countryside. But uh, what people did obviously spot was um, lovely one of you, Jenny, wearing uh, wearing the baby in a baby carrier. Um, I mean, they just look really happy. And Duke of Edinburgh and the Queen at Balmoral, and then obviously the one that people were talking about is August wearing the traditional royal christening gown. I think that you can probably make out Lucas in the background of that picture because of they had the joint christening. Um, people are asking me why there's only one dress that the babies can wear and why Lucas wasn't wearing it. Well, I don't think the Tyndalls are altogether that into some of the royal traditions. I'm sure they respect them wholeheartedly, but I, I didn't, I wouldn't have expected them to be dressing the baby in the royal gowns. And certainly uh, Eugenie and Beatrice uh, like, like that side of things, which is fair enough. But uh, yeah, a nice post, obviously a picture of Jack's father as well and to, to, go, to go with them all and, um, and the customary picture of the baby's feet, which uh, seems to be very on vogue, doesn't it? I thought it was a really lovely post, actually. And for me, it really highlighted how um, Eugenie's kind of taking her... I think she's kind of really cracked the use of social media. Obviously, she's one of the few that has her own personal account, but she you know, put some details of her life out there. She said there's lots of pictures of them out and about, but it's still done. You know, she didn't, for example, share a new photo of Prince Philip. She used one that we'd seen before. Yes. And um, so it was a nice, a nice mix of kind of a, a bit of an insight, but still obviously keeping with what the family want to share, which was really lovely. Now it's an exciting week for Kate, isn't it? We've got a big birthday coming up on Sunday. Do She's 40. And 40. on Sunday, we have been carrying a, a nice... Nice series, actually. The second part is today. Third part is released tomorrow. We have been using the... the uh, I know there was some talk on social media about the Kate at 40. And, I mean, we didn't coin it, obviously, because it's so blatant. But that was the headline in our paper yesterday. And uh, and I was using it to... Um, to, to, to some hilarity with some people and others thinking it was quite all right. There's obviously the, the, the uh, some people think that we should refer to her as Catherine, but that's, that, I think that's another podcast series altogether, but it has <laughs> been really nice. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think we're, well, we're well over it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, 
Uh, we don't know what she's doing for her birthday. We don't know if we're going to get a new picture. One would hope we would. I, mean, I hope we do. That would be lovely, wouldn't and it? And who will take it? Because she's the one normally who is behind the camera. Maybe oh, wouldn't that's it be true. selfie? Wouldn't it be? Lo- I don't think we'll see a <laughs> selfie, but it would be nice if we saw. You know, imagine if William had taken one of her and the children. Maybe she's been teaching him a few tricks behind the camera. We don't know, but I um I imagine it will be a, a nice family occasion. 40s a big age, you know, some other people turning 40 this year, dare I say who. Um, so, uh, and then obviously William's birthday in uh, later on in the year as well, in June. So if you want to check out some of our coverage, it is over on the Daily Mirror Royals page on our website. There's lots uh, from the special that our Fantastic Features team have put together looking at Oh, Kate's journey, I suppose, from a shy girl into a bit of a more of a confident uh, teenager and then um, meeting William at university right the way through to sort of her royal career and how that has expanded certainly over the last uh, last few years. I think she's grown hugely in confidence, taking on some really important projects with the um, not only the baby basics, but with the early child, child development angle as well. And uh, and I think that is, that is a real sign of things to come for for Kate because I think with every bit of confidence that she gains we are seeing her sort of evolve into a queen that she will become and uh, and no doubt excel at because um, I think she's enjoyed I hate this phrase but enjoyed a good pandemic because she has sort of come into her own and I, I know what people know what I'm talking about when I say that because it was a very difficult time to try and come back to this old age you know the old adage of what the queen has said you need to be seen to be believed and when they weren't able to get out and do the job it was a particularly uh, sort of fraught time of how they would be reaching the people how they would be um, keeping in touch with their charities and and, and doing their um, relevant engagements and the fact that they did sort of make that shift to the digital world was uh, was quite extraordinary as we all had to do being on zoom and whatnot so um i think 2022 big birthday for kate platinum jubilee is going to be mega and we are going to see um a lot more of the royals this year not only because of platinum jubilee but i think they are chomping at the bit to get out and uh, and to and to do the job that has been lacking quite considerably over the last couple of years no, I agree. I'm really looking forward to seeing what, you know, as people tend to do when you hit a landmark birthday, reflecting over, you know, her her time in the royal family. And it does feel like, you know, we know she took it quite slowly at the start, didn't she? And there's lots of people saying that she really was learning from William and making sure she didn't take anything on so she could learn and make her mistakes earlier on although we haven't I say this we haven't really seen many mistakes from her and as she said she's really stepped up where she's needed to when perhaps other members of the family couldn't and I think this year I think this is going to be a big year for her in terms of her really stepping out and I'm really looking forward to seeing what you know what what that what that has really because we mentioned briefly as well possibly a a tour last week didn't we perhaps on the horizon well I mean yeah or maybe you know there's surely going to be a couple of big tours for the Cambridges. Who knows what's going to happen with coronavirus restrictions? We're all still under, I mean, what is it called? Who knows? It's stage two here in the UK. So it's a uh, work at home, if you work from home, if you can here in Britain, um, whether those restrictions will be released before a spring tour god one would hope really but um <laughs> please <laughs> please please god i mean 
the situation with the Royals is quite difficult to, to, because of planning. And when they're trying to plan these big tours, let's say you've got a big tour to Canada or Australia, whoever, uh, whatever member of the royal family goes, it is quite difficult and labour intensive to plan those tours, especially when there are different restrictions all over the world. It's um, it becomes immeasurably more difficult. So uh, I st- I still have hope. I still have hope that we're going to see an awful <laughs> lot more foreign travel. Um, it'll be great to see them going to the to the realms like Canada. Um, Australia, certainly the Caribbean, especially in a platinum jubilee year, it's all very. Um, I think there's a lot to look forward to. So let's stay positive. And obviously, talking about Kate's birthday, it means that well, I'm hoping he's bought it already and that he's not leaving it late. But William hopefully has bought Kate a lovely present to mark the occasion, which I can't talk about, which without remembering the story that's just come back to me actually I've just kind of trying to figure out where he said it but do you remember the interview with it was on uh, the Peter Crouch podcast where William kind of revealed the present he once bought Kate that really didn't oh, yeah, go down yeah. very well binoculars. the binoculars <laughs> what, was, what was it he said I'm just I think he said that she still hasn't it seemed like a good idea at the time it was quite early on in their relationship apparently and it didn't go down it didn't go down well honestly I have no idea why I bought her a pair of binoculars and Brilliant. yeah apparently she still hasn't let him she, she oh, still hasn't let him forget it yet. So. No, that's very funny. I mean, hopefully he's got a you know a, a, a bit more of an idea this year. 40th birthday is, yeah, uh, okay. well, that's is probably a bit more important. Yeah, yeah, that's got to be something sparkly, surely. And maybe, yeah, Some I ju- reckon. Jules and Deb, you never know. I mean, they've probably got enough sparkly things, to be honest. I think it may, may, maybe he'll make her something with the kids. Who, who knows? You've got to be a bit more inventive. Oh, okay, that's quite it. I feel you're preparing now when you're... You know, any, no, I don't. I do not want a gift. I, you know, I'd rather the jewels <laughs> and the gems. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Very much. Hope she's listening when she yeah. gets a beautiful handmade present <laughs> when it's hers. Lovely. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Russell, and thank you to all of our listeners uh, for tuning in this week. As I mentioned briefly before, if you haven't listened already, we've got two review of the year episodes, a general roundup with uh, myself, Russell, and Ian Vogler, and also the fashion episode with myself and Scott, and and. As always, follow us on Instagram and on Twitter at PodSave. And we hope you have a lovely week. And until next time. PodSave the Queen!